Okay. Okay, I'm glad you're here. So, um, we're right... Well, you know, I don't get to use this word too often in conversation. We're at the penultimate day of the year, right? This is the next to last day of the year. Tonight starts the last day of the year. And there's a lot of... um, There's a lot of Torah uh, uh, dealing with this very particular moment. Not even so much Rosh Hashanah. God willing, we'll get to Rosh Hashanah. But... um, Right now, how about how are we supposed to live our last final moments of the year itself? So that's even more relevant to to this moment. And uh, let's zero in on some of those. So um, there's a concept that's always um, relevant to talk about uh, at this time of year, um, and it's a uh, it, it's a field uh, called reflexology. And what what that deals with is uh, if you there's certain if, if you actually go online you can you can see there's certain maps of the sole of the foot believe it or not that will tell you that if you if you um, adjust or massage or w- whatever it is manipulate certain um, areas of the of the sole of the foot they correlate with the entire body so for instance there's an area where you can adjust on the foot that 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 according to reflexology will actually clear your sinuses. You know, it actually goes that far. And it's a whole field of, uh, of study. Um, you see a similar dynamic where through the foot, through the, the end or the bottom, which is the last days of the year, through, through the end, you can actually spiritually correct um, uh, the, the entire year that, uh, that, that's come before. Would actually someone close the bathroom door back there? Um, so, so these days are actually these days are actually very very powerful in that um, starting with starting with Chai Elul, which is the 18th of the month of Elul, which is the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov, uh, the founder of Hasidus. There are all sorts of different um, different um, categories of uplifting the year that is coming to the end. So, for instance. There are 12 days left of the year as of Chaya Elul. There's actually 29 days in Elul, but counting Chaya Elul. So what you can do is you can start fixing the 12 months. Each day will stand for a different month. And you can have in mind a different month that just went by and, and, and try, to, try to fix it that way. When you, get to the, when you get to the last days of the year, you get to the last... Um, Sunday of the year, the last Monday of the year, you can have in mind all the Sundays and, and all the Mondays that have gone by in the year. And um, this past uh, Shabbos, uh, Parsha Nitzavim was the last Parsha, was the last Shabbos of the year. So, so we had all these opportunities, and actually we were doing it in Shul, it was, it was very special, to fix the, all the Shabbases of the year. Like, for instance, at, at, at Mincha, because I was sort of concentrating on this, I realized at the end of Mincha, we're about to say the last Kaddish of the, of the last Shabbos of the year. The last Kaddish of the last Shabbos of the year. So I made an announcement that everyone should be aware to say Amen very carefully. Don't miss any amends. And have in mind that you'll be having all the amends that you may have missed for Kaddish for all the Shabbases the entire year. Okay, so that would be <laughs> that would be an example of, of what I'm talking about right now. Okay, so now, so now, what about right now? So now we're getting to the last day of the year. So you can imagine the last day of the year. You can fix all of the days of the year. So it's all sort of like if you imagine an upside down pyramid. It's all balancing on well, the last day, I guess. So you can have in mind everything. That, that went on, okay? So the whole day, every time you do a mitzvah, do it with extra kavana, extra special concentration, and have in mind all the times that you did that mitzvah over the year, and try to do it with, with fire, with with dveikas kite, with attachment to God. So, so let's go a little bit deeper into this concept. So we know that there are 365 days in the year, and this correlates with the 365 lotases in the Torah. <clears throat> the Torah has 613 mitzvahs, and they're divided into two categories, do's and don't do's. So there's 365 don't do's and 248 do's. By the way, just so you, you're not misled by the, by the, uh, the extra don't do's, 
and think that Torah is about don't do this and don't do that, which would be a misrepresentation of, of what Torah is, you should know that the very first thing that Hashem tells human beings to do is to eat from all the trees of the garden. And then Hashem says, but don't eat from, from the Eitzadas. So in other words, the very first thing that Hashem tells us to do is to enjoy life. That's the very, very first command, so to speak. Enjoy life, participate, sample the goodness of life. So that's, that's very important. That's how it begins. And we know by beginnings, which is why Rosh Hashanah is so important, because by beginnings, that's really the DNA of the entire year that's coming. So it's very important to start right. So, so, so Hashem's first instruction to us to eat from the fruits of the garden is, is very instructive and, and very significant in terms of what the attitude is, in terms of how we're supposed to interact with creation. So it's, it's to take part and to be active and to enjoy. Okay. But nonetheless, we have 365 lotases, which correlate with the 365 days of the year. Now, I've never seen an account where every single day you have a direct relationship with, you do have a direct relationship with it, but I've never seen it actually charted out which day stands for which lotase. That would be a that would actually be a book of prophecy, I guess, because that's so deep and it's so so particular. How would you know March 5th versus March 4th? Like I, or on the Hebrew calendar, obviously, but I mean, it would be so particularized in order to actually have it right. One would really, it, it would really have to be on the level of prophecy. Nonetheless, there are certain days that have been handed down through the sages that do correlate, bless you, that do correlate with certain lotas saints, with certain mitzvahs. For instance, the Chernobyl brings down that Tishabav correlates with Donit the Gid Hanasha, the, uh, the sciatic nerve that was injured in the wrestling match between um, our Holy Father Yaakov and the angel of Asaph. Right? That's, and there's a whole beautiful bit of uh, learning attached to, 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 why, to, to why those two things correlate. Now, there's another correlation that I've seen that's been brought down, and that's what the mitzvah of the last day of the year is. Okay? So it's very interesting how it's derived, actually. It's derived by the fact that one is supposed to get, ideally, a haircut the last day of the year. Why? Because you're supposed to prepare yourself to look appropriate, to look good, when you stand before the judge. So... So, you know, and I, it's not, I don't want to say it's like, you know, don't eat milk with meat, getting a haircut on the last day of the year. It's not, it doesn't have the status of one of the 613 mitzvahs. Don't, don't uh, go crazy. But nonetheless, we are given that instruction. And, you know, whatever it is, you're just supposed to look good for Yantif. But nonetheless, it's brought down by the tour that, uh, that on the last day of the year you get a haircut. So, so since when you get a haircut, there's specific, specific halachas um, which pertain to getting a haircut. And when it comes to men, that is, don't cut your payas off. Now your payas is, if you go from your cheekbone up here, anything below that is counted as payas. And some people, of course, grow it out. Okay? So, so, so now... It's brought down, it's brought down that the mitzvah of the last day of the year then would be don't cut your payas off. Which actually is one of the mitzvahs. Okay? You understand how they derive that? Okay. So now let's, let's now we've got to figure out what's, what's payas <laughs> and, and why would that be pertaining to the last day of the year? And how is that uplifting the entire year that just trans, transpired? So Reb Shlomo explains that payas is the connection between the mind and the heart. And the reason why we don't want to cut off our payas is because we never want to sever that connection between the mind and the heart. That means, if we continue to extend this idea, that the whole year is balancing, the whole rectification of the year is balancing on the idea of your mind and your heart being together. 
right? If your mind and your heart are together, then you're able to rectify everything, seemingly, based on, based on these principles that we're laying out. But we have to explain it further. How does it work exactly? Why is that so crucial? So, so one of the things that I think is one of the biggest challenges, and, and maybe, maybe in terms of the modern era, as life has become more complicated and, 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 and more technologically advanced, maybe this has become harder over the progressive generations, I think. Which is, which is, one of the main things that we have to fight against is turning Hashem into an abstraction, into a holy idea, as opposed to reality. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. A person can say um, there are pencils and there's concrete and there's football and there's Las Vegas and there's God and there's dental floss and there's roast beef. It's like, wait a second, <laughs> no. Did you just put God on the list of the things in the world? God is not one thing on the list of things that exist in the world. God encompasses all of creation, all of reality. Everything is inside God. God is not one thing on a list of things that exist. That's that's what it means to turn God into an idea. All of a sudden, God becomes relativized, and we completely lose concept of what God is. And this is what Rosh Hashanah is all about when we talk about making Hashem king. We're not giving God a promotion. We're stripping away all of the nonsense and understanding the all-encompassing aspect of God. You know, there's always there's a famous question. If, if we're going to be judged on Rosh Hashanah and we're going to be forgiven on Yom Kippur, it's out of order. Let God forgive us first, and then He can judge us. We'll all get a great judgment. You know, it, it makes that that sounds like a much better thing. Or if Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the ten days leading up to Yom Kippur, so that it's really one block of time. You know, one of the things that that I found in terms of my own uh, journey, in terms of studying Torah and trying to understand it, is that you know I'd be I'd be all over Rosh Hashanah. Like, all that exists is Rosh Hashanah. Then, all that exists is Yom Kippur. Then, all that exists is Sukkot. And, then all that exists is Hoshana Rabbah. And, that's, you know, as Rip Shlomo would say, that's sweet and it's cute, but it's, it's kind of missing it. It's like one big block. And we really have to allow ourselves to understand the rhythm of these days that Hashem has set up for us. Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is one block. And it culminates in Hoshana Rabbah. And we have, we have two different dynamics going on. You know, Tshuva Mi'ira, returning to God out of Yira, awe, fear, however you want to define it. And then Tshuva Me'ava, returning to God from a standpoint of love. And of course, all these things are mixed together and, and they're all... Essential, and they're all really going on simultaneously, although certain days are emphasizing different aspects of these different attributes more than others. But what I'm getting to is the idea of understanding that Rosh Hashanah is the introduction to Yom Kippur. In other words, one, you see, imagine that, um, imagine that you're, you, somehow you're standing before a king, and I'm talking about a king of flesh and blood right now. And you, you know, you're wearing your bathrobe. <laughs> you know, you haven't combed your hair, or brushed your teeth, or taken the sleep out of your eyes yet. And you kind of bump into him, and you, you know, you kind of whatever it is. You don't really address him as king. You kind of, you know, whatever. You trip and you knock his crown off by accident. You know, and then you say, oh, uh, sorry, you know, and then you go on to the next person, you know, sorry to him too. Well, you said you were sorry, and that's good. 
But you don't exactly know who you said you're sorry to. If you don't know who the king is, the, the, the sorry doesn't really mean anything yet. This is why Rosh Hashanah comes before Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is, I have to understand who God is. What does it mean making him king, recognizing that he's king? Let me figure out who God is first. And then when I come to Yom Kippur, when I go through these ten days, when I figure out, when I examine my life, it's going to be an entire different process what that Yom Kippur is. You know, one of the things that I think, you know, Rip Shlomo mentioned it one time, and it's, it's, it's just so true, and I, it keeps on coming back to me, which is the whole notion of how often we're making Hashem small. We're making Hashem small so, so often. You know, the... One of the Torah mitzvahs is not to make a, 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 a molten image of God. And it's really talking about an, you know, an aspect of idol worship. Meaning to say that, what, what happens when you make a, a, a molten image? What happens is, is that you have, a, uh, you have a mold, and then you put this thing inside the mold, and then you print it out. And it's, it's really... It's like we're taking all of our preconceptions of God and we're create and we have this this really finite sort of like idea of him and then we put God into it and then what we produce is essentially an idol. It's not God. It's this fabrication conceived of our of our preconceptions and the limitations of our understanding. And then we put God into that. And then, you know, there's a... And we make something very small and something very incorrect. And then we have a problem with God. Yeah, we have a problem with God. Because, look, you know... Look at who we're worshipping. You know, there's a, a famous Hasidic story that goes like that, which is someone is is really bemoaning all of the problems in their life and they're, they're saying, you know, essentially God did this to me and God did that to me and everything like that. And, uh, and so, and so they, they culminate by saying, I don't, so therefore I don't believe in God. And the person is sort of like shocked that the, that the Rebbe is saying to them that I don't believe in God. And they say, Rebbe, you don't believe in God? Now listen to this. And the Rebbe says back, yes, the God that you don't believe in, I also don't believe in. <laughs> Hear that? The God you don't believe in, I also don't believe in. In other words, that's not God. That's not God. Another famous mushal from the Dubna Magin. Um, about a a person who uh, a porter who takes a great load, huge number of you know suitcases and trunks and everything like that from a from a shipping liner and you know is huffing and puffing and struggling to deliver it to this rich man who it belongs to, and he's thinking the whole time, I'd better get a good tip for this. I'd better get a good tip for this. And then he finally gets to the rich man's house. And the rich man says, That's not my stuff. I had a small pouch of diamonds. Right? Like the lightest thing in the world. So he was carrying the wrong load. So, so the, the analogy, the, the mushal is, It's us. We're, we're carrying these huge, weighty mitzvahs. You know, that Hashem is... Afflicting us with Kazu Shalom. And we're thinking the whole time, Hashem better give me a big reward. Hashem better give me a big reward. I'm struggling with this huge weight. And then we get to Shemaim and Hashem says, My mitzvahs are diamonds. They're light. You were carrying the wrong load. That was 
wasn't my load you were carrying. You know, I heard from Rabbi Wine, said a, a medrash, sort of a related idea, that, that the Chachamim imagined, you know, a, 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 a mule, a pack mule, they were known as pack mules because you would put, you know, they were, or beasts of burden, because Hashem created them to be very, very strong. And you could tie all of your, your luggage to them. They were sort of like, you know, the SUVs of the, uh, of the ancient world. So you'd, you'd tie all your luggage and stuff like that onto donkeys, and somehow they would be able to still walk and, 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 and carry it. You know, that, that was one of God's gifts to us, that there would be such an such an animal. And um, so imagine, imagine a man is riding on a donkey and he's got two heavy bags, right? And he's just sitting on the donkey and in, with one hand he's carrying one heavy bag and with the other hand he's carrying another heavy bag. And it's sort of like, wait a second, if you're getting on the donkey already, why don't you put your bags on the donkey? So the Chachamim take this and they, they, they talk about how silly people are, which is that they believe in God and they know that God rules the world and yet they carry their own weights. If you're already going to believe in God, put your trust in God. Put your weight on God. I once had a conversation with someone an uh, elderly uh, Israeli woman, quote-unquote secular, right, quote-unquote. And I was listening to her talk a number of years ago, and she was talking about what was going on in the country and everything like this, and I don't even remember the problems. But the problems are absolutely overwhelming sounding. And I was getting so stressed out listening to her, like, saying, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. And then, at the end, when I really, like, when my head was about to explode, she would perfect calmness, went like this, um, Hashem Yazor, Hashem will help. And she was perfectly fine. And I was like, wow, that was awesome. That was awesome. I loved that. I loved that. And I thought, you know, that's what it is. That's what it is. If you're already going to believe in God, believe in God. What are you doing? So, I promised, I promised. And by the way, before we talk about prayer, because I, I want to talk about prayer a little bit. Before we talk about prayer, uh, actually, what's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, before, before we talk about prayer, Actually, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll talk about prayer. I forgot. Excuse me. So, uh, hey. Hey, oh, no. I'm sorry. We switched rooms today. We, we switched rooms today. I'm sorry. Um, so, so how does, how does prayer work exactly? So, this is obviously a, a giant, 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 giant topic. And let's... Um, Let's just cut to one aspect of it, because <clears throat> because I just got uh, I just got ex- a prayer explained to me in a, in a very beautiful way, and 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 basically here here's the general idea. Hashem wants us to be happy. When we're not happy, Hashem, Kaviyochol, humanly speaking, is unhappy. When we're not happy. Because he wants to bless us with his great good. He wants to. So, so since Hashem wants to bless us with his great good, if we're not able to receive it, that makes Hashem not happy on some level. Okay? Again, humanly speaking. So, when we daven for something, there are different ways to daven for it, okay? So, now this is in the name of the Zohar. One of the ways that we can daven is, I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that. 
So the Zohar compares that to a dog. That's how a dog dies, so to speak. Hop, hop. Like, that's the barking of the dog. Like, give, give, give. But, you see, you see, the, the, the challenge and the beauty of this world, really, is to see the world through God's eyes. And um, if you can see the world through God's eyes, you live a different existence. You know, I've told you this story before, but um, just to illustrate the point. My father, uh, when when I was younger, got a, a, a pen that Nixon had used to sign a bill into law. And this was right before he left office, so the Watergate scandal was going on. And um, he was, you know, he called us all into the kitchen, and there it was in this sort of like a velvet box on the kitchen table, this pen that Nixon had used. And my, my brother said, who wants that pen? He's a crook. Right? My sister said, how do we know that he really used that pen? And I said, he's going to get impeached. That pen's going to be worth a lot of money. <laughs> so, three completely different reactions to the same stimulus. Right? My dad, uh, on another occasion, was talking about my nieces, and I forgot what the... the uh, the age spread was, but it was something like, I'm making up these numbers, but just, it was something like, one was two, and one was five, and one was eight, something like this. And he said, you know, they're all inhabiting different universes. And, and the same goes for us. The same goes for us. I mean, you know, there's something comedic, almost, and utterly heartbreaking about the fact that we're all in this room together right now. We're all together. We're all learning Torah. And if you could inhabit each one of our different heads and look through our eyes, we'd be, we'd be on a different planet, basically. You know, and yet it seems like, oh yeah, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to go to David's talk today. Oh, me too. Boy, it sure sounds like we're on the same page, doesn't it? You know, I was talking about this Shabbos morning. I, I, I just think it's important, especially since this is also this is also a time of forgiveness that we're getting into, and uh, it's very important that we we start um, forgiving each other. And it says that the more It's a very important principle right now. The more you forgive other people, the more Hashem is going to forgive you. Okay? So so opening yourself up to forgiveness, and that includes, by the way, forgiving yourself. Can't forget to forgive yourself. In fact, start with forgiving yourself, and then you'll you'll find it easier to start forgiving other people too. But you have to... You have to get that forgiveness muscle going. So, so in the spirit of this idea of forgiveness, and then remind me, we have to go back to explain prayer. Um, I, I, I don't want to lose that topic, but all of this is important. So, so we have to understand just how difficult it is to communicate. And, and I want to also say this in general, but I want to say this especially for married couples. Um, It's for everybody, but I think it's for everybody and just a little extra for married couples. Um, Because communication is really the lifeline. It's it's literally the, the, the oxygen line that keeps a relationship alive. All relationships alive. And we have to appreciate how fundamentally difficult it is to communicate at all. And if you think about it, you know, I want to go back to my father for a moment. He used to do something 
that was really beautiful. As a kid, it used to drive me crazy. But it was, it's an awesome thing that he did. He was a psychologist, and it made him very effective as a, as a counselor. Um, one of the things that made him very effective. But what, what he would do is, when he got to the key word of a sentence, he would use five different synonyms for that word. And if you were just trying to have a conversation with him at the dinner table, you'd be like, Dad, get to the next sentence. <laughs> I get it. But... Nonetheless, he gave me a very, very precious gift. And so I'll give you an example, just sort of off the top of my head. He would say something like, um, so what, what you're going through right now, you're, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're experiencing impatience, it's maddening, you'd like it to happen faster. You know, and, but the reality is, the reality is, is that by doing, so to speak, a 360, like going 360 degrees around a certain word or idea, at a certain point, he effectively communicated what he meant. Now, let me tell you really the greatness of that. Because what happens is, in life, in life, we make up our own dictionary. Now, I'll give you kind of like a crazy example. Imagine, imagine you got sent to tennis camp or a tennis lesson, and you didn't want to go, and they made you go, and the teacher was a lousy teacher, and you weren't any good at it, and the teacher yelled at you in front of other people, and you were embarrassed. Now, imagine if I say to you five years later, hey, you want to play tennis? Like, I like tennis. Can you imagine the, like, the, 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 you know, the rat hole that I just opened up in your, in your consciousness when I said the word tennis? You have a whole different definition of tennis in your mind. You have this whole emotional, like, you know, halo around the word that, that, that the average person doesn't have. Now, okay, so that, that's a very specific example. But how about normal things like food, or eating, or anger, or pain? Right? You have a completely defi- different definition for all of those words. So if I were to say to you, um, define pain. Because for sure, for sure we all have different definitions for pain. Now I'm going a step deeper right now, okay? If I were to say to you, define pain. And you say to me, because I want to make sure we're on the same page. And you say to me, well, pain is something that hurts. And I say, okay, good. Yeah, same with me. That's a match. Pain is something that hurts. And now we go on thinking that we've communicated. You know what the problem is? You have a different different definition for the word hurts. And I have a different definition for the word hurts. So now our relationship has actually gotten even more complicated. Because now we think that we've discussed it worked it through, defined our terms, agreed, and we still have different definitions. And this is why I'm saying, especially in a marriage, why this is, why this is so relevant. Because couples are, are, are talking things through all of the time, and they think that they're working things through all of the time, and then become very impatient when the other person makes the same mistake seemingly. They're not making the same mistake. They're making a variation of the same mistake, which is a different mistake. But it seems like the same mistake. It's not the same mistake. Sometimes it's the same mistake. But it often isn't. Most of the times it isn't. I'm talking with two people who are trying right now. So, so a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, I remember I had a big discovery growing up when I realized Sometimes people would say things that were so bizarre, and I just, I could not figure out why they had said such a thing. And then it hit me, oftentimes those people were joking. They made a joke, and I didn't understand that it was a joke. And so I was evaluating, like, this punchline, which was just meant in humor, at face value, and it made no sense whatsoever. So there's so many... There's so many examples of this. Life is so rife 
with miscommunication that when when it comes to this is the whole idea of judging someone the chavzchus of giving someone the benefit of the doubt because it's allowing yourself to say you know what maybe I just maybe I didn't understand and you know Rebbe Nachman of Breslov says that when you judge someone the chavzchus you bring peace into the world that's an awesome that's an awesome thing and you know how, what about giving God the benefit of the doubt? You know, I mean, God who's so infinite, who's so beyond us, who's so beyond us, and yet simultaneously so close to us. Right? And we have to have both things in mind together. I mean, the amazing thing is, you know, you know, if you were to, if you were to say to me, what's the biggest moment in Rosh Hashanah davening? Well, I'll give you the official answer. There's no debate, by the way. This is the official answer. It's the Musaf of Shmona Esra, when you go through those Pesukim. Okay? But I'll give you a different answer. <laughs> on an emotional level, not on a level of the head. I'm going to give you a, a, another answer. It's Avinu Malkeinu. For me, anyway. I mean, this is just me talking. And if you think about it, this is the this is the this is really the glory of, of, of Torah. What is Avinu Malkeinu? Avinu Malkeinu, Avinu, our Father. That means the closeness of God, our King, the infinite expansiveness of God. And you say them both in the same breath. He's so close. He's right here, and yet he's dimensions, infinite, infinite, beyond, 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 beyond. And you know what? The way the Chachamim delivered this prayer to us, how awesome is it that it's Avinu Malkeinu and not Malkeinu Avinu? That first comes that, first that, that sense of closeness. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you uh, something that I think is just almost like a, a life a, like, a, like a life tool that you can't let go of this which is that especially among people who yearn for closeness to God and, and really understand the importance of that um, you know so often it's so difficult when you don't feel God's closeness and it's, it's very 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 hard so all of us have to understand that it's bad math so to speak to say that the following. God is as close to me as I feel his closeness. That's a thousand percent incorrect. God is close to you, period. If you don't feel his closeness, okay, that's something else. But God is 100% close to you. 100% at all times, always, whether you feel his closeness or whether you don't feel his closeness. Because what a person does is they say, God is as close to me as I feel his closeness, since I don't feel his closeness, therefore he's not close to me. Why is he mad at me? What did I do? I'm trying so hard. Now I'm angry at you, God. I have to do this mitzvah. Why should I do this mitzvah when you're treating me like this, God? I mean, it's really, it's a recipe for dysfunction. It's absolutely a recipe for dysfunction. God is close, period. Period. And then we have to allow ourselves to feel it, to work on feeling it, try to figure out where the blockages are in our own hearts. But the, but the problem is not on the other side. It's not on the other side. Okay. So now let's get back to prayer. So, so since Hashem wants to give to us, in fact... <clears throat> According to the Ramchal's understanding of why the world was created to begin with, the entire world was created. We were created so that God could give to us more perfectly. Okay? Let's, let's, let's go over that thought, because that's, that's, that's kind of like one of these big um, thoughts. So God wants to give us the ultimate good. So what is the ultimate good of the universe? God himself. 
So God wants to give us of Himself in the most perfect way. He wants to give us the greatest thing in the most perfect way. So now we have something called the bread of shame. We've been created in such a way that if we get something for free, we don't feel good about ourselves. But if we've earned something and we receive it, then we feel good. So if God were to just give us of Himself in a way that we didn't earn it, He would not be giving us the greatest thing in the most perfect way. So God created a world in order that we could earn His light. And then now that we've earned it, we can receive Hashem in the most perfect way because we'll feel good about the fact that we've created this vessel for Him. And then God can share of Himself, which is the greatest gift, in the most perfect way, because we'll have earned it. Okay, so we have to understand that that the that the whole foundation of the world is all about God giving to us and making us happy. Okay? That underscores everything. Okay, so now listen to this. We said that in the name of the Zohar, that if someone just says... Give to me this, give to me that, give to me this. That's on the level of a dog. Give, 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 give. Okay? So now, let's go back to this idea of seeing the world through God's eyes. Well, if God wants me to be happy, but I want God to be happy, how can I make God happy? By allowing God to give to me. So if I'm actually praying for certain things so that Hashem Himself should be happy, then I'm praying actually for God. It happens to be that I'll be the conduit of His blessing. I imagine I'm going to be praying for a lot of things, but one of the categories will be for my own personal needs. But if I'm praying for God to be happy because He wants me to have these things, then I'm not praying for myself. I am praying for myself, because I'll be the recipient of these things. But in my being able to receive these things, it will be a way for Hashem Himself to give, which is what He wants to do. So I'm actually praying on behalf of God. Did everyone follow that? Because that's a whole radical readjustment in terms of prayer. I'll say it again. I want God to be happy. So when I pray for my own needs, I'm actually praying that God should be able to give me these things, which God wants to do. So I'm praying that God should be happy. And that His happiness should be manifest in His ability to give. Now I'm going to pray that the world should have peace. He should be able to give peace. I'm praying that... Israel should be safe, that Mashiach should come, that the whole world should know of Hashem, that I should have my needs and what I need in order to serve Him. All of these are ways of magnifying God's presence and His happiness in the world. Because it allows Him to give in the fullest extent. And I'm one aspect of that. But it's not just me selfishly demanding these things. It's all seen through the lens of Hashem's happiness of Hashem being able to give to His creation. So that... So that's a beautiful thing, actually. That's a beautiful thing. And... And if if a person can do it, if a person can stand in Rosh Hashanah and actually pray for God, that's... That's, you know, God says, okay, that's my man. (laughs) Right? Because, you mean he's praying for me? It's it's like a whole other, it's a whole other dimension. Um, Okay, so, I want to, I want to mention one thought, just to bring it back to, to today. So, so it's the whole 
idea that we're approaching the last day of the year now. And this idea of the mind and the heart being together. And you see, the idea is if, if you're just having God in your head, if God is just an idea, then it's just an abstraction. God is one thing on a list of things that exists. Remember the difference between a monothe- monotheist and a polytheist. Someone who believes in many gods says God is in the clouds, God is in the mountains, God is in the trees, God is in the flowers, right? Someone who believes in one God says the whole world is inside of God. Right? And God exists beyond, beyond, beyond that even. Okay? So, so, so being able to look at the world and just seeing these are just, I'm inside God. And God exists beyond this world even. Okay. That's the mind and the heart being together. See, because if the heart, if, if God isn't in your mind, He's just in your heart, then it's just on an emotional level. So whatever you're feeling at the moment, that's what I'm feeling, and that's, that's my understanding of God. But when the mind and the heart are working together, remember the last day of the year is the mitzvah of payas, which is the connection between the mind and the heart. That's the whole balance. Then you're inter- where, wherever you go, you're interacting with Hashem. Remember that life, life itself, is an ongoing conversation with God. Life itself. It's an ongoing conversation with God. Whoever you're interacting with, whatever you're doing. You know, even it says inanimate objects are judged on Rosh Hashanah. Everything is judged. Every single thing is judged. Chairs and tables are judged. I mean, it's, it's wild, you know? So, so, I just want to point out just something that I noticed in Parshas Nitzavim. I thought it was interesting. We'll more or less close on this thought. It's the last Shabbos of, this, of the year. It's often the, the last Parsha of the year, Nitzavim, <clears throat> as it was this year. And um, I thought it was interesting that it ends... Nitzavim begins with the letter Nun. And so the last, the last Shabbos of the year, it's like this letter Nun of the Parsha, Nitzavim. Nun is Gamachia 50. And if you look at the cosmic map, so to speak, there are 50 levels of spirituality, 50 being the top. They call it the Shar Chamishim. 50 is the top. So that's the letter Nun. So... You know, Hashem, so to speak, on the last Shabbos of the year, brings us up to the top. Because when you're at the top, what do you have? You have the best view. So you can see the whole year. You know, like we talked about last week, where it's talking about putting your, your fruits in your baskets and taking it to the Beis HaMikdash, right? So you have to gather up all of your blessings and bring it to the Beis HaMikdash. We said Beis HaMikdash is Gematria Rosh Hashanah. Right? You have to take all of your basket full of fruits, all of the blessings that you've had over the year, and bring it into Rosh Hashanah. How do you do that? By standing on the Nun, by being able to look on the highest peak over the year, and to have perspective of what happened this year. Okay. So, But what did we also say? This idea of re- reflexology. That everything in the entire year is connected to the end. Right? So if you look again at the Parsha, the first word of the Parsha is Atem. It's Atem Nitzavim. So the first letter is Aleph, and the next letter is Nun. So Aleph is one. So you see here, the last Shabbos of the year, it's going from one to fifty. In other words, it's a, it's a microcosm from the bottom all the way to the top. It's a microcosm of the entire year is being presented to us on a spiritual level in these last days of the year. And then, if you take these two letters, Aleph and Nun, if you spell it, Nun Aleph, Na, means now. In other words, this microcosm, Aleph through Nun, is happening now, right now. It's available to us right now. So really, we should uh, we should be able to to savor 
to savor these last moments and to figure out, really, who is it that we want to be? Who do we want to be? What are we doing here anyway? You know? What are we doing here anyway? And maybe just to kind of figure out how to concentrate on those things in a more serious, serious way. Because, you know, you know, they, one of the, I heard Rabbi Wine say this, it's a heartbreaking statistic. He said that people spend, people want to be remembered for the way that they spend 15% of their life. It's a very humbling idea. It's a very, very humbling idea. You know, let's figure out maybe what it is that we want to be remembered for, because that's that's a way of accessing what's most important to us. And then once we figure out what it is that's most important to us, maybe we can figure out how to devote more time and more seriousness and more effort and more efficiency and more productivity to that thing. And I'll tell you one last thing. I often meet people who have big ideas. They want to start this project or they want to start that project. And the reality is is that there's often a project that's existing which is very close to the idea that they have. So just as one last bit of advice, if you have an idea, look to see if someone else is doing something similar. Especially if the infrastructure of of an organization already exists. And go and help build that organization. Because so often a person gets a great idea and then to build the organization and to raise the funds and to do everything involved in getting that idea off the ground is so difficult that it just, it just kills it at the outset. Go and figure out who else is doing this idea or who else would be open to this idea. What, uh, what other organization? And help build that organization. Because then you can really have the strength in numbers that you need. So Hashem should bless us all with really, with clarity of purpose, with clarity of His presence, and with clarity of our own strength to be able to bring it all about in peace. Okay.